for that singing. Amen to that. God is awesome. Uh, before I uh, get into uh, the message this morning, I have two public service announcements. Number one, if you have a Honda Accord, license plate PVD2810, keys are in the ignition and the car is running. I appreciate you trying to get here on time, though. Amen. You, were, you had conviction to get in this building before the first song. I applaud you, but you might want to go take care of your car out there. Um, the other public service announcement is we actually do not have midweek here this Wednesday night. Just want to clarify, uh, there is going to be, obviously there's a lot of trick-or-treating and stuff, and I know if you have kids, it's a great opportunity to meet your neighbors, get out in the community, talk about uh, superheroes for Orphans. This is a great opportunity to kind of go out in the community uh, on Wednesday night. So Wednesday night, this Wednesday night, we will not have midweek here at the building. So just want to make sure you got those two public service announcements. Amen. All right. So we got uh, beautiful children right there that we're going to encourage and help out. Uh, so I want to uh, share a message with you this morning and uh, want to take us back a couple weeks ago. When uh, we, we talked, about, talked about Jesus and how, you know, we, we're kind of messed up people, but we need Jesus, right? And uh, we talked about a couple of things that Jesus shared. And we, if you remember, we talked about the man in, in John chapter 5 who'd been an invalid for 38 years and just been kind of on the losing end of life and around people that were struggling and, and uh, just had a kind of a down mindset. And Jesus like, man, do you, do you want to get well or not? You know, do you want to get well, right? And, uh, and, and the man was healed. Uh, but interestingly, you don't see that man be one of the ardent supporters of Jesus after that. For whatever reason, he just doesn't turn up. You would think that that guy would be so grateful for what Jesus had done. But it's interesting that you don't really hear much about him. It even seems like he's trying to get Jesus in trouble if you read it a certain way. After they ask who healed him, he kind of sold Jesus out, maybe, if you want to read it that way. Then when you, uh, you, we saw the, the man who was wealthy, right, and he'd been a religious follower, right, and he's asking Jesus, what do I need to do? And Jesus said, man, I appreciate you. The Bible says he loved him. He said, man, let me help you out. You got a lot of stuff. I, I think what would be really good for you, for your life, I, I think you need to go sell what you have. I think possessions maybe have you a little bit taken out. So once you sell that, and then you come back, and let's walk together. Follow me, right? And the guy was like, I don't want to do that, right? And he, he, did, he, just, he loved his wealth. I mean, he, he didn't want to follow Jesus. So we had those two examples. And even the one thing you lack when he told that guy, we have family groups in our church. If you're visiting with us, it's kind of a smaller group. So we have maybe a dozen-ish people. And, and the guys in our family group, we actually got together and we talked about what is it that we lack? You know, what are we, what are we feeling like in our spiritual lives that we lack? And we, we talked about it. And uh, we all kind of shared what we were feeling and thinking. And then after that, all of us kind of shared scriptures that kind of correlated with the areas of lack in our lives. And, uh, and so uh, we all took a scripture away from that night. And we're, we're memorizing that scripture. And we're kind of checking in on each other to see how's it going. You know, when we get together again, we're going to talk about, man, how are you doing in this area of your life? And so that's just a little something that I think hopefully can encourage you that when we do have these small groups, a lot of times we can use what was spoken about on Sunday, use them in our small groups and actually keep things going, you know, uh, get some spiritual growth and momentum uh, in your own small groups. And, uh, and so last week, really appreciate uh, Chase. Uh, 
spoke about, remember this? Talked about Jesus. And he, and he mentioned that what preceded this was Jesus just talking about how often he had done so many miracles. He had given so much teaching, but people just didn't seem receptive to what he was giving them. And, uh, and then finally, he just said, look, just, just come to me. You know, if you're weary, if you're burdened, and, and, and take my yoke and put it on you. Let's, let's get connected with each other. And, you know, if you take my yoke, put it on you, you can learn from me, and that's the way to live. That's, that's the way to find rest for your souls. Uh, but you got to be willing to yoke up, you know. Uh, and, uh, and then when you read the rest of Matthew 11, you read Matthew 12, Again, you don't see mass conversions after this great sermon. You don't see people just putting their necks out. Man, I want to yoke up with you, Jesus. You don't see it. You see a bunch of arguing about the Sabbath after that. Even his parents are like, what's your problem, Jesus? There's just, it just seems like Jesus didn't get what he wanted a lot of times. I think Jesus wanted to change the world one heart at a time. He wasn't just concerned about big crowds. He wasn't concerned about your heart and whether or not you were going to be able to change and see God in your lifetime. And, and I think he cared about people. But, man, when I look at the last couple of weeks, these great messages, these insightful statements, you know, one thing you lack or do you want to get well or take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And sometimes just no response from people. And I thought, man. How did Jesus do it? How did he keep it going? Uh, because, you know, and I thought about, what are we like? What happens when you don't get what you want? What happens when you don't get what you want? What type of person do you become? And what do you struggle with when you don't get what you want? And, you know, in today's, in today's world, Jesus would probably be known as a, as a failure of a minister because he doesn't have a mega church in, in some respects, you know. He doesn't have the, I mean, Jesus preaching all these sermons, people aren't moving, they aren't changing. He's even calling them out, man, if this stuff would have happened to Sodom and Gomorrah, even they would have repented. What's up with you guys, right? So he probably would have been seen as a failure. I think Jesus wanted people's hearts to change. But, you know, he didn't always get what he wanted. And so I wanted to explore this a little bit today in the time we have. What type of person uh, are we when we don't get what we want? But I want to look at Jesus and I want to look at a guy in the Old Testament. Is that cool with you? So we'll look at Jesus because sometimes we say, well, that's Jesus. He's superhero spiritually. And, okay, well, we'll look at a guy who wasn't Jesus when he didn't get what he wanted. And we'll see what we can learn. What kind of person are you going to be in this world when everything doesn't, always doesn't work out the way you want it to. Because if you live in the same world I live in, I, I believe that's more realistic, right? You know, that's reality where we live. We don't always get what we want. Some of you are playing that song in your head. I know. If you're over like 35 years old, you're playing like a song in your head. But uh, I'm going to pray that it gets out of your head right now. So let's pray. <laughs> Father, we know we can't always get what we want. Father, but we know you do give us what we need. But, Father, while we don't get what we want, I pray that we can learn how to grow more like you. I pray that we can still be your image bearers in this world. I really pray that we don't fall, fall prey to the, the spirit of consumerism in this world, especially in the Western world, this, 
this heart of accumulating as much as possible. And when we don't get what we want, when we want it, Father, help us not to respond like so many in this world with anger, with impatience, uh, and just getting critical with all structures that aren't set up to give us everything we want when we want it. Uh, Father, help us to grow to be more like Jesus. Help these moments in life when we're dissatisfied to actually mold us so that we can grow to be more like your son, Jesus, and be a light and salt to this world that needs so much help. And I do continue to pray for those who've been affected by the storms, whether in Mexico or Panama City, or, uh, and Father, also what happened in the synagogue just yesterday. Uh, so sad. And uh, we, we share so much with those sons and daughters of Israel, of Jacob. Uh, Father, I, I do pray for them. And, uh, Help us to learn, God. Help us to grow and uh, to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So what happened? Uh, one of the passages that I think many of us think about, Jesus as, in his earthly life, right? Uh, in Hebrews, it talks about uh, his, what characterized his life in some respects. It says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. So why is Jesus praying with fervent cries and tears? And a lot of it was because he was suffering. And a lot of it was because he didn't get what he wanted all the time. Uh, he was struggling. He was trying to deal with people who were against him over and over again. And it says he learned obedience. And be careful, it wasn't that he went from a state of disobedience to obedience. That's not what, what it means. But it did mean, as a taking on the form of a human, he did learn what it meant to submit his will to the will of his Father God. And to learn, how, to learn how to obey even when you don't feel great, even when you're suffering. Okay? So he had to learn how to, how to submit his will to God's will even in the midst of suffering, even while crying out with tears. You know, so many of us, we don't pray like that, right? So many of us have the wake up in the morning, barely drink our coffee, halfway sleep, halfway distracted prayers, right? Some of us say prayers. Some people pray, you know. We went to a, we went to a conference this past weekend. Oh, my goodness. And there was a guy from Sierra Leone, leads a church out there, and this dude was talking about praying and, he, and fasting, and he was firing me up, man. I mean, he's talking about some people just pray prayers. We pray, you know what I mean? He's just like, he's getting out there and he's talking about every month they spend the first three days of the month fasting and, uh, and praying to God. And the last day of the month, they all come together and pray for an hour at night and thanking God no matter what the circumstances of their lives are. And they are seeing great things happen. That just inspired me. 
But Jesus, you know, he was the son, yes, of, of God in a very unique way, but he had to learn how to put his will under, Jesus, under the Father's will. And he became the source of salvation for all who obey him. So he learned it, and we need to learn how to yoke ourselves to Jesus. Probably one of the most popular moments in Jesus' life where he had to really deal with this, uh, if you are unfamiliar with the Bible, is when Jesus was in the garden and he was praying before he was going to be crucified. He was going to be publicly executed. And so he was praying, God, if it is your will, please take this, this cup away, this cup of wrath that I have to drink. Take it away. Right? He prayed that, but ultimately he said, but you know what? Not my will be done, God, your will be done. And that is a hard place to get, isn't it? To get to that place because the cup wasn't taken away. He had to go to that cross. And what else happened in Matthew 26, right? What about his friends? What, were they there for him? No, they fell asleep repeatedly. Don't you hate it when you need your friends and they're not there for you? But that never happens at North River, so that's really encouraging. Right? Wait, we're not a perfect church? What? I'm sorry for those of you visiting. Oh my goodness, you have arrived at an imperfect church where even members of the church, we let each other down at times. Is that not true? Isn't that where we really live? Right? Where we, we, we rely on somebody and they're not there for us the way we want them to be there. So what do you do with that? What do you do with that? Do you get critical? Point the finger? Gossip about them? I mean, what do you, you have to make a decision. When, when someone lets you down, even a brother or a sister, which Jesus had to deal with that, he had to deal with that at his, at his moment of, of deepest need, the people closest to him let him down. What do you do when you don't get what you want from your friends? How do you respond? Do you just take your toys out of the sandbox and go home? You know, because some of us are like that, you know. Uh, when, when things happen, especially when it's the church, especially when it's like the people that we really think are going to always come through, we can get so twisted as if Jesus never dealt with that before, right? Not to mention the guy, a guy he invested in, especially, you know, Judas for three years is the one that sold him out. That's another level. Feeling betrayed by somebody in the church, you know, somebody that you consider to be a brother. And then at the end of that whole scene, you know, Jesus is dealing with the people trying to arrest him. The Bible says all the disciples just deserted him and left him there. Left him there with people that were trying to do him harm. Wow. Seriously? I don't think Jesus wanted that. Right? But how did he respond? How would you have responded? And unfortunately, some of us respond by withdrawing our heart and our presence. We just say, you know what? I'm done with you. I can't be a part of this. You know, you've let me down. I'm gone. And some of you are struggling with that very thing right now. It's a big room. Surely, somebody's let you down. You didn't get what you wanted out of that relationship. Or the church is doing something that you don't really see or understand. And now you're deciding, should I stay or should I go? All right, another song that I'll probably <laughs> put into your head. Get it out, get it out. Why do I bring this up? Because it's real. And here's the deal. We, 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 need, to, we need to tear up the unwritten contract here at the church, right? What's the unwritten contract? Here's the unwritten contract. And I'm implicated and you're implicated. 
And here's the deal. If I can just, as a minister, you know, preach sermons that you relatively like, and if we can create a church that meets your needs and gives you what you want, then you'll keep coming back. And you'll keep supporting the church so I can have a job. So I can keep preaching sermons that you like and keep providing everything you need when you want it at the church. So that you keep coming. You right? You see that? We, can't, we, gotta, we gotta tear up that unwritten contract. You know what I'm saying? Because you, you have to learn how to not, you have to learn how to exist when you don't get what you want. You, and, and I have to learn how to be okay with, you know, sometimes I can't provide what you want when you want it, right? And, and, and when both of us deal with dissatisfaction, who are we gonna become more like? Our Lord Jesus or guys like Judas, guys that just desert and flee? Please remember this. <laughs> you are not always going to get what you want, but you can always grow to be more like Jesus through it. Okay? And I appreciate Chase last week. He asked a question, and I wrote it in my notes. And I thought, he said, you know, if someone asks you, what are you learning from Jesus, what would you say? And not what you learned when you were studying the Bible but to become a Christian, right? When you were drinking from the fire hose and, like, everything was like a nugget. Like, Jesus is the Son of God. No way. It's, it's amazing, right? Everything was new. No, I'm talking about what right now, today, what are you learning from Jesus? I thought that was a great, great question, you know? And I'm learning a lot from Jesus. And, um, and, and I really am trying to deal with this whole issue of, how to live when you're kind of, you know, not happy with everything and dissatisfied. And two weeks ago, I, I shared, I was joking around a little bit with the title of the sermon, and I talked about, you know, an insight and two quotes, but I only used one quote. And so some of you were like, where's the other quote? You didn't use it. And I was like, you know, I, did, I ran out of time. And I, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share the quote that I was going to use a couple weeks ago. And so here you go. Our lives become consumed with the idea that unless we somehow experience everything, travel everywhere, see everything, and are part of a large number of other people's experiences, Facebook, right, then our own lives are small and meaningless. We become impatient with every hunger, every ache, every non-consummated area within our lives. And we become convinced that unless every pleasure we yearn for is tasted, We'll be unhappy. And when this happens, an obsessive restlessness leaves us unable to rest or be satisfied because we're convinced that all lack, all tension, and all unfulfilled yearning is tragic. Man, does that describe you or not? I hope it doesn't describe me, but I, I really believe this is a spirit of our age. I'm sorry. I think a lot, a lot of us struggle. Anything that's not consummated in our life or anything that we don't have the way, the way we want it, man, it, it messes us up. And we feel like we're, we're meaning, we actually feel like our value as people is, is, has gone down. We didn't get a lot of likes. We didn't get a lot of this. No one saw it. No one's patting us on the back. We don't have meaning. We struggle. I'm hungry. I'm aching. Therefore, I can't be happy. I don't have what I want, therefore I can't, I can't possibly enjoy my life. And I think we got to be careful, right? I think we got to be careful uh, that this worldly concept doesn't jump into our own lives. And uh, later on in, the, in this same book that was very helpful to me, he just talked about the whole concept that it is actually good for our spiritual formation <laughs> to be dissatisfied. 
because it helps us to long for God. Because we start to realize, you know what, the world's not set up to meet my every need. Wow, that's actually a good thing to learn. And instead of yearning for it or, or just selling out to just get every need met, we're supposed to stop and go, wait a minute. Wow, this is not the way this world is even set up. So how can I find some sense of peace or joy in this world? Where do I get it? It's not, you're not going to get it in this world. That's the whole point. You got to yoke yourself to Jesus, man. Learn from him. He'll show you. He'll teach you what it means to really live the type of life uh, that you can live. I told you I'd talk about an Old Testament guy. This is one of my favorite Old Testament dudes. Um, he's an inspiration because his whole life was like, wow, that's a challenging role that this guy had, Jeremiah. I mean, when you look at the early parts of Jeremiah, Jer God's like, hey, man, uh, hey, uh, I got a job for you. Oh, okay, what do you want me to do, God? Uh, okay, Jeremiah, I need you to preach. I'm, okay, I'm not a great, I'm, I don't want to preach, but I'll preach. Yeah, actually, I'm going to need you to preach for like a few decades. And here's the deal, no one's going to listen to words you say. In fact, they're going to hate you, and you're, you're probably going to get halfway killed sometimes. Uh, but man, that's really what I want you to do. Good night, what a tough gig for Jeremiah. You know, but he did it. Jeremiah did it. And he's just getting all, I mean, he, God's like, go to the church, go to the front of North River and the parking lot right next to the cop and go out there and tell people at North River, you guys don't really love God. You're just honoring God with your mouths. And what if somebody was out there preaching like that? You'd be like, who do you think you are? But that's the kind of stuff that God had Jeremiah doing. Go stand at the temple. You know, go stand at the temple and say this stuff. This is my timer, I mean, I got some three minutes left. There you go, 3.33, I'm good. So, so that's what Jeremiah had to do. And so here he gets to a point where this is what I love. He's dissatisfied. Things aren't going his way. So what is, he's got a choice. What's he going to do? Is he going to just get inward, start being funky? What does he do? He goes, Lord, <laughs> Lord, you understand. Remember me and care for me. Avenge me on my persecutors. You go, well, that's not a very Christian thing to say. Let the guy pray. Let him just get it out, right? You are long-suffering. Do not take me away. Think of how I suffer reproach for you, for your sake. When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. I never sat in the company of revelers, never made merry with them. I sat alone. Because your hand was on me and you had filled me with indignation. But, but why, why is my pain unending? And why is my wound grievous and incurable? You are to me like a deceptive brook. Like a spring that fails. You ever felt that way? Jeremiah 2, 13, I believe. God basically refers to himself as the spring of living water. But Jeremiah's like, you, you ain't no spring, bro. You, you, I'm looking for the water and I don't even see it. See, this is what, this is, but see, this is what we need to learn how to do. When we get dissatisfied, take it to God. Instead of just taking it inward or taking it to some friend that doesn't really have a spiritual mindset. Take it to God. He can handle it, right? I appreciate God's response. Hey, Jeremiah. If you repent, I will restore you. In other words, bro, you need to watch what you're saying. But not in a negative way, right? But I appreciate the realness that, they, that they's going back and forth. 
If you repent, I will restore you that you may serve me. If you utter worthy, not worthless words, you will be my spokesman. Let this people turn to you, but you must not turn to them. I will make you a wall to this people, a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. That's real. I'm not just going to remove all the hardships of your life. That you still got to deal with some fighting. But I got you, Jeremiah. For I'm with you to rescue and save you, declares the Lord. I will save you from the hands of the wicked and deliver you from the grasp of the cruel. So what does Jeremiah have to do? He's got to believe that or not believe it. And I believe that's what dissatisfaction does for us. When we don't get what we want and we take it to God, then we, got, then we really learn what trust in God is. Do we really have it? And notice God doesn't say, I'll just make everything pleasant and perfect for you and give you everything you want when you want. He does not say that. You are going to have to fight, but I'm going to make you fortified. That's what helps us grow. That's what helps us grow. And for your own, you know, Jeremiah 17, one of my favorites, shared this with both of my kids this week, or last couple weeks. You know, and I, this is what the Lord said. Cursed is the one who trusts in man who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands and they won't see prosperity when it comes. They'll dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They'll be like a tree planted by the water. Sends out its roots by the stream. It doesn't fear when heat comes and its leaves are always green and has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Praise God for that, right? That's what happens when we don't get what we want. And in closing, what I want to share with you is one thing I want to encourage you is what I'm learning from Jesus is you got to be with Jesus before you try to start doing for Jesus. Okay? And I want to encourage you. Don't focus more on your doing than your being. Be with Jesus first. Spend deep time with Jesus first before you start trying to do, 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 do for Jesus. All right, and how do you do that? I know for me, I had to change my whole morning routine. I've, I've changed my routine. I got me an app on my phone that has the Bible. It's got me scriptures I read every day. But another thing I'm trying to do is for 10 minutes every day, I just try to have silence. I'm not praying. I'm just trying to be silent, and I'm trying to receive things from God, not just control the situation. God, and you know what? Some days I'm distracted, but I'm going to keep at it. I just started this week, and I want to encourage you, try to be with Jesus before you try to start doing a bunch of things with Jesus. Because when we are with him, we can handle life even when it, we don't get what we want when we want it. Amen? All right. Amen.